0: This is Alumni Allowed, a podcast by Graduate Center students for Graduate Center students. In each episode, we talk with a GC graduate about their career path, the ins and outs of their current position, and the career advice they have for students. This series is sponsored by the Graduate Center's Office of Career Planning and Professional Cotton. I'm a PhD student in the Cognitive and Comparative Psychology Program at the CUNY Graduate Center. In this episode, I sit down with Dr. Mariana Diaz-Wianchek. Mariana earned her PhD in the Psychology Program at the Graduate Center. When we spoke, Mariana had recently started her own consulting company in the field of children's edutainment. In this episode, Mariana tells us about her unusual career path and the importance of being open to unexpected opportunities, how she feels about imposter syndrome, as well as the importance of paying her good luck forward. Mariana lives in New York and we met up at the Graduate Center meeting with me today. Do you first want to just say your name and kind of what you do? Sure.
1: My name is Mariana Diaz-Bionchik and I graduated, I was telling you, in 2002 from the environmental psychology program and I've been working in children's educational media now for about 15, 17 years. So I guess we'll talk about that.
0: (laughs) Great, great. And uh, so how did you get there?
1: Yeah, as a graduate student, I was um, working as a freelance researcher for a company that does market research but specializes in children. So I did some projects with this company and I um, was well acquainted with the kind of work that happens at some of the networks that produce children's content like Nickelodeon in this mm-hmm. case. So then I finished my, my doctorate in 2002 and then I sort of found a job at Mount Sinai School of Medicine and then an opportunity opened up at a Nickelodeon production uh, that was Dora the Explorer that was a very famous preschool mm-hmm. production um, for several years and they had an opening in the research department. So I applied for that. And I also happened to be Mexican or Mexican American Latina. So then I got that job and then I sort of stayed in that industry for for since then. So that was sort of the. When I landed at Nickelodeon, that sort of changed my professional. <laughs> right.
0: So, so you never like planned
1: to no. go into. No. When my friend told me about this job, I was like, "Well, I'm not a developmental psychologist. I did have a lot of developmental background, just coming from um, undergrad, because I took a lot of developmental courses in undergrad, and then he, so I was sort of in the world of developmental psych from when I was in the doctorate, but I did not specialize <laughs> in. In developmental psych I more specialize in the way that I I sort of spin it today is in cognitive psychology. Mm -hmm. Because I did environmental psych but I focused a lot on cognition of space. Mm -hmm. So the mental processes and things like that. So I can always talk um, to that if I'm asked the question. So yeah, once I I stayed there and I got lucky in that track and then I sort of got promoted and I was sort of head of the research education department for Mm -hmm. all those years. And then I started interfacing with a lot of other groups that were, as I was saying, not only the content for the actual TV show, but also the branding consumer products and consumer insights and other people, uh, other groups that do other kind of research. Because the world of educational children's media is very, very small in New York. It, a lot of, most of the people are in New York. Mm-hmm. So it's a, a small group of people and we all sort of know each other. So then I also met the people from Sesame Street, and I started collaborating with them, and I did projects with them. Um, they needed a, a person that would oversee the implementation of educational content in the shoots in Mexico City. Mm-hmm. So because I grew up in Mexico City, so I was a, <laughs> sort of a natural person to go right. do that. Yeah. And I did that with them. And there's a whole group that's called the John Gans Cooney Center. Because Sesame Street is so important, they have a policy group. And research group that's very formal much more academic or Mm -hmm. at least more overlap with academic work and policy development and they started an initiative on with Latino kids and families that's called um, Learning Together Aprendiendo Juntos and they invited me as an industry person so because they're heavily academic and I was considered more like an industry person Mm -hmm. so there what I'm trying to get to is that I developed a network that I continue to develop so anyway Dora the Explorer ended the production Mm -hmm. and I was left without a job And that leads to sort of my present time, because at that time, it was a a bad time for educational media, because it's sort of a trend that Mm -hmm. media for little kids becomes more educational, and then less educational, and then more educational, and then less. At that time, it was on the less Mm -hmm. swing, so nobody cared, Uh, even though there was a lot of new media content being produced in short format and uh, digital content and all that stuff, there was not a huge interest in educational. So the, I had a t- t- tough two years after the the Explorer, not knowing exactly what to do or how to find a job. And what ended up happening is that I sort of gathered all my thoughts and all my know-hows and all my experience and all that, and I started a company with my expertise. So I had to figure out a story, sort of w- what was the story mm-hmm. behind my offering and what was unique about my offering. Because right. there's a handful of all women that do the kind of work that I do in terms of educational research for media for kids media right but then I had to think about sort of how to position myself as different from these offerings and then I sort of it was very obvious which is a whole Latino multicultural and transcultural as I call it now perspective on things and I also by then this is two years ago so I already knew that I preferred To have a point of view over just conducting research and being a Mm -hmm. research vendor so i was very well equipped to just be a research vendor and though i could do that but i also had a strong point of view and my contacts and friends said like that's what's valuable in your you know your trajectory and people want to hear that so i positioned myself both as both as a consultant and an advisor and as a research provider, which is not my preference. Um, but So then what perspective do I bring to projects? It's pretty much what I'm saying. I have a lot of, like a decade of experience or over a decade of experience in children's media, educational specifically, and in bringing in sort of a cultural flair or flavor, and the way that that's done has evolved um, through the years, and I now, I feel I'm in this very privileged position to be figuring out how to do multicultural or transcultural content in a way that feels right mm-hmm. in kids' products. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's it's a very happy place to be.
0: Can you kind of just walk us through what you do on like a typical day?
1: Well, clients come to me. Nickelodeon is one of my clients. Other people come to me to see how do we do bilingual content, how do we address Latino audiences. They have questions about Latinx and Things like that. So I've been sort of going that route, and the route of the inclusion, diversity in other ways too. So not only race and ethnicity, uh, but also the, my newest thing is with neurodiversity and disability, because I happened, I was invited to something with a group that does a lot of disability consulting. Mm-hmm. That's called Bridge Multimedia, and I was invited to pr- to talk about my trajectory. And what they do is that they do content, how to portray all sorts of different abilities and disabilities in children's content. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of my new thing, like I'm looking a lot at uh, yeah. different abilities, disabilities and neurodiversity in ch- kids' media.
0: So maybe this is kind of jumping ahead in the interview, but I think it's sort of the natural so Where do you think the future of kind of your field and everything is, where do you
1: think that's kind of headed? Well the future is, happy to report, or maybe I'm being an optimist, but mm-hmm. I, I'm part of forming that future. Yeah. So where is the future? I feel like, do I go back to like sort of the typical, you know, market data? So the, 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 there's a, an obsession right now with the Latino-Hispanic mm-hmm. uh, market segment. I, I hate talking about market, <laughs> but like people are very interested in the Latino-Hispanic right. um, market, because the growth uh, mm-hmm. and other things, but most importantly because they're going to be the majority in, mm-hmm. by 2050, right? Mm-hmm. So everybody wants to address this population and do it supposedly right and be culturally sensitive, and, mm-hmm. and um, they don't know how to do it. So they seek for, quote unquote, professional opinion mm-hmm. on the matter. And there's it, it, then is when they're talking about going back to the PhD, mm-hmm. then is when it comes handy. Because mm-hmm. people do trust... Having that credibility because the general market, let's say, the general market does put a value on those, mm-hmm. on, the, on the three letters. So the future is, I'm like tiptoeing into the future because right now, okay, so I had, I started my company, I got this big project with Nickelodeon and now that's wrapping up and I have to work with other clients and mm-hmm. the future is exactly what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. How do you get more work mm-hmm. uh, that you like and how... You know, in the best-case scenario, which is not my case yet, you can select which projects you want to work on and not have to work on all the projects to chase a carrot. Mm-hmm. So naturally, there's a sort of a very natural flow of, of projects that come to me that are only interesting to me. Because mm-hmm. they are people that are developing content for kids. They want to do, like, good quality content. So I end up working in projects that really need me meaning I can add value, and that's what I want, so mm-hmm. so I, I work with, right now, three very active clients, and I work with them from home.
0: Is it doing research yourself, or it's just collecting research, or what exactly?
1: I, I give them a point of view. I know yeah. it's weird. It's like, <laughs> people I are mean, like, I want to do that! Right. I want to just talk about what I know and be uh-huh. paid money. But that's pretty much what uh-huh. happens. Okay. uh I have developed over the years a knowledge of this industry of educational children's media uh, and how sort of there is this overlap between what's educational content, which is the kind of content that you would see in the classroom, and mm-hmm. what's considered entertainment, and it actually has a name that's called enter- entertainment. Mm-hmm. So I'm an expert in, in that little convergence. Mm -hmm. And people want to know how to do that. There's a bunch of people that are Mm -hmm. like that. Some of them are PhDs, some of them are not. Some of them have backgrounds in education. But as I said, it's a handful of all women that do this. And they're also research providers. I have declared that I'm an opinion person Mm -hmm. and not only a research person. Mm -hmm. So Because I have the doctorate and because I grew up in Mexico and I'm an official, and a Latino with an exotic accent. Mm -hmm. It cannot get much better than that because then, ooh, she's saying like she knows. And also I'm multicultural myself, Mm so it's like that combination that's sort of my elevator pitch. Mm -hmm. It's like I am your audience Mm -hmm. and I also have a PhD in this and that, so I can help you create content. But... Again, when you're an advisor, people just come to you for your opinion or something. I know it's weird, yeah. but it happens. Right, right. Uh, and people pay me for that,
0: yeah. Do you have a kind of dream project that you would want to work on?
1: Or? No, I mean, the projects that I work on are all good. And I'm a story person, so I care more about projects that have good stories. So, for instance, I'm working with people that produce podcasts. They're great. They're called Pina. Mm -hmm. So Pina is all about stories because it's audio content. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like just figuring out stories and then working with minds that are creative minds that can come up with amazing stories and amazing characters and a whole world of uh, you know a whole freaking universe that they made up in their head. Mm -hmm. And then you come in, and there's an entry point for... For whatever it is that i have to offer Mm -hmm. so what i have to offer is like well if you're going to be addressing an eight-year-old don't address the eight-year-old as a a four-year-old and don't address the eight-year-old as a 12-year-old and Mm -hmm. you can be aspirational but be realistic in your approach to an eight-year-old so Mm -hmm. i do bring a lot of developmental input like human development input into things and then just figuring out the situations that these characters are placed in have to feel right and there's you know when creators are just not their own minds and they need some sort of anchor and it's just nice when you your voice is welcome into that sort of world and you have something to say and add value into a whole world that's a made-up world Mm -hmm. so Pena right now that there are shows that are my favorites. There's one that's called Hero Hotel and it's like all these heroes they go on vacation to this hotel and they don't want to be bothered and they just want to relax and it's a whole world of these heroes that they created. And the author the the creator and and main writer is um, happens to be Latino but there's nothing about the show that's Latino or non-Latino but you can see that there's already a sensitivity to diversity yeah. and to sort of the way that all these characters, you know, are evolving and it's just incredible. And then there's another show called Opal Watson that's a, a girl who's a detective who's going blind because she has a retina pigmentosa, I think it's called, the, mm. the, the problem that she has. So she's losing her vision, and she will lose her vision throughout mm-hmm. the seasons in the show. So just figuring out how to do that right for a population, you know, that this girl reflects an African-American girl mm-hmm. who's also losing her eyesight. And I'm trusted with you know, with doing that well, that's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's not just telling you, I get a little like this one because I'm like, they're trusting me to do it Uh right. Of course I have to work with people that know about Mm -hmm. low vision because I'm not an expert in that. But So I find the other, the real experts. I don't don't think of myself as a real expert. Mm -hmm. Don't tell anyone, but I think it's the imposter syndrome. But there's other real experts and I find them and I liaise with them. And so I get their input and bring it in and so I do a lot of that too, like I bring together people that are the expert. I always say that like, ooh, the expert. <laughs> so I bring them together and together sort of we make, um, give opinions on, on these imaginary, fantastical worlds that these creators are making. Oh, and then to, su- to supplement this very nicely, I used to be invited to speak uh, at many places that teach media or whatever, different kinds of things. And then my friends were like, why don't you just put together all those lectures mm-hmm. and, and pitch it at NYU? So I remember just like I had some thoughts and I went to talk to the chair and I was like, well, you know, these courses and there's a lot of for, for graduate mm-hmm. uh, psych students. And there's a lot of opportunity in this industry and it's in developing and NYU cares a lot about job placements and stuff. Mm-hmm. So they love it. And they're like, sure send us the syllabus next week, I was like, what? <laughs> so then I created my course and I teach it at NYU and then Fordham similarly, like it was a similar story. I was invited to, to talk at the Graduate School of Education there um, and then I, they invited me but as a regular adjunct, mm-hmm. I was just teaching a course that was assigned to me on bilingual education but it's a happy coincidence because now whatever I taught it at Fordham mm-hmm. because they brought me in as an adjunct Now, it comes very handy because I taught educators about bilingual education. So that's sort of the basis of my thinking Mm -hmm. for for bilingual content, which Mm -hmm. I do a lot of. So all these experiences sort of come together. Back to the question, I had absolutely no idea. People in my program here in environmental psych uh-huh. know that I had no idea what I wanted to do when right. I came to do environmental psych. I used to be in the admissions committee at uh-huh. environmental psych. I like the students that have a lot of clarity, and I had a lot of interns in my life, young students. Mm-hmm. And some of them know exactly what they want. Great. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. Awesome. Like I just don't know how at your young age you can know so much about what you want. I never knew. I still don't know. I think I know a little bit better now. And then there's the ones that know nothing like myself. And mm-hmm. I don't discredit them, because mm-hmm. I was that. Yeah. I was the one that, I did undergraduate uh, in Mexico, so I went mm-hmm. to the School of Psychology, but I didn't know that I wanted that. Mm-hmm. And then I finished psychology, and I didn't really know what I wanted. That's what I found environmental psychology, because I didn't want to do clinical work, I didn't want to do school work. I I I was. I wanted to do social, something to do with sort of more social science-y. That's how I found environmental psychology. but. I'm more a field person rather than a path person. Mm-hmm. So like fields are more open. You tend not to get out of track because mm-hmm. there's no track. Yeah. It's just a field. So
0: So do you think specific things that you did or learned during your PhD helped? No,
1: yes, definitely. And today I do what I think I I guess value the most is the rigor of the thinking, mm-hmm. of the thinking process, and a lot of sort of the general but still rigorous research components of the methodologies and things like that. Mm-hmm. So even though you don't necessarily apply the same level of rigor in content mm-hmm. research, which is what I do, there's still a way of thinking and proceeding that mm-hmm. comes from formal training in mm-hmm. research. I was always, from the from when I was a student here, uh, very like qualitative heavy person my way of thinking is much more qualitative and in depth even with statistics and the more quantitative approaches you there's a way of thinking about how to approach problems that makes you more creative when sort of thinking of methodologies and ways to study things uh, or even ways to ask questions and i think that comes from that formal training i've thought about this before because i was saying in, the, in my industry and there's like these people that are do sort of what i do and there's, I feel there's a difference between the doctors and the non-doctors. And I think it comes down to that sort of formality and a way of, uh, of being open to different ways of thinking about problems and approaching the problem and, and creating a way to answer the question. And those kinds of things I think are the most valuable to me.
0: Mm-hmm. And do you think there's anything special, I guess, about the Graduate Center or CUNY in general that you particularly found?
1: I did undergrad in a public university in Mexico, um, which was different from the path I went to a private high school. So most of the people at that time were going to private universities, and I went to a public university. And coming here to a like a city school mm-hmm. is something that I value a lot. There's something maybe like very down-to-earth around it about the people that choose to come here are like that. Like I feel a hundred percent that I, I I'm from here. Like I'm a CUNY person. I advocate for CUNY. When I was taking interns, as I was saying, we were taking all the same exact interns from UPenn, from mm-hmm. NYU, from Tufts. They were all the same intern year after year. And I say, "Where are the CUNY students?" Mm-hmm. So I I, I literally called the people from at the, mm-hmm. at the psychology departments at Hunter. Mm-hmm. So I ended up getting interns from Hunter all the time. I'm like. Tufts, they're going to get an internship. Let them get another <laughs> internship. And the interns that I got from CUNY, mm-hmm. one of them, she was, she was from Hunter. And interestingly, she was from my neighborhood in a story. And she, anyway, she was going to be a nurse. And she's mm-hmm. now in media. She, oh. forever, like the internship changed her. And she's now in Univision. Yeah. And she's been in this industry for a lot of years because she interned there. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one was also from Hunter, Kalina. Now she's a professor. She just finished her doctorate here. CUNY all the way.
0: So you mentioned earlier how a friend told you about the first job. So My question is, in terms of networking and things like that, how do you approach it? Do you do it?
1: I'm not the biggest networker, and I think it's part of my style Mm -hmm. Uh, some people are great at it and i'm not and people that know me know that i'm not and in networking you Mm -hmm. just have to be like that and Mm -hmm. smiley and chatty and you have to be good with names and faces which i'm not always and especially names Mm -hmm. so i don't i'm not a very talented networker Mm -hmm. to tell you the truth i'm more of an introvert also so it's not my style there has to be a combination and i say you there has to be two things you have to be lucky, and you have to do take the opportunity. Like I used to always say, I was so lucky, I'm so lucky, I'm so lucky, and people are like, no, you're lucky, but you're also doing your part. Like It's not just uh-huh. that you're lucky. You know? I had the to total, and I continue. Now I'm finally getting over it, the whole imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. I was the imposter syndrome. You look imposter syndrome in the dictionary. It was a picture of me. Mm-hmm. Like I always felt like, why do people, you know? And now I'm like, eh, I guess I do have a perspective. And How did you get over that? Hmm, how did I get over that? I think doing things and sort of, once I got hard evidence, no, like once I I got the course at NYU and certain things that kind of like speak, I wouldn't say universally, but they speak a little bit more globally of someone's capability. Uh, I still do feel that way. Like I, I feel I can't write. Now I know that I can't because I mm-hmm. used to always think I can write, I can write. And then I see how people write and I'm like, oh no, I can't write. Because <laughs> I can organize the thinking talking about the mm-hmm. doctorate thing.
0: Uh, so did you always want to stay away from academia? Did you ever want to be a professor? Or... No.
1: Mm-hmm. I always knew I was going to stay away from academia and it relates to the imposter syndrome. I never thought that I could write or teach Mm -hmm. anybody anything or do my own research. That was, I think that was it. And and then I never believed I could do it. I'm not a five year plan person. I think you really Mm -hmm. have to be very clear on your map. Mm -hmm. You have to have a clear map Mm -hmm. as an academic. And I never thought I had it.
0: You ever wish that you had Mm -hmm. gone that
1: path? Just because after going through two years of difficulty finding jobs and Mm -hmm. even now like not having like my own medical insurance mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, the tenure now looks awesome. But at that time, absolutely not. Like I was just like, not interested. And now I see I see tenure as, as a dream. Like you never have to worry mm-hmm. again. But I, I never, I, I told you I was a five-year planner or 10 or 15-year planner. So mm-hmm. I never, ever thought that I would be 50 years old mm-hmm. one day. <laughs> and that's around the corner. And I never thought of that. I Not that I thought it wouldn't happen. I just didn't know anticipated happening. So, yes, 100%. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know how academics do it. Some people probably are very passionate about their work right for them. And then, therefore, they want to just keep doing it forever. It wasn't my case.
0: Are there any unique problems or things that you particularly like about owning your own company?
1: It's more work than money. I'm not a business person. Um, mm-hmm. I just don't have a business mentality. And I always I always got on the way. So people said to me now for like, I would say 10 years or more, like, why don't you start your own company? I'm like, I don't, I'm not a business person. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know how to start a company without being a business person. And then I just had to do it. And by start my company, I don't even think of starting a company. Mm-hmm. I just created a website with mm-hmm. my offerings. Mm-hmm. And then I had to create an LLC And then all of a sudden I had a company. And my accounting is pathetic because I am very bad with accounting. And I don't have, I have never taken an accounting course of any sort. So I just have developed my own very primitive systems of Mm -hmm. keeping track of what I've invoiced and what I've been paid. That's a challenge. And I never thought, you know, even now, like thinking people, like, when did you start the business? I think I started it when the website was ready. But I've been doing this for a little longer than that, you know? Mm -hmm.
0: And how did you, you know, find your first client? How did you really get it going?
1: All this is very new, so I remember really well uh, how it all happened. I was miserable at Mount Sinai. I had always been in a very happy, professional environment, and then I wasn't finding a job, and then also some personal stuff happening in my life, so I needed a job desperately. So then I ended up landing the job at Mount Sinai. I cried every day. I, like, it was just so bad. That experience, I think, pushed me to do the other thing, because I said, I'm not <laughs> going to do this anymore. I said, instead, I'm going to try this mm-hmm. other thing.
0: Mm-hmm. There were
1: no jobs. And I kept hearing the, the, in the jobs you do, in the, in the interviews, you're overqualified in ABC, but you don't have enough experience mm-hmm. in XYZ. And then someone said, well, if you're overqualified in certain things and you don't have experience in th- certain things, then you have to sell the ones that you're overqualified for, and that's called a consultant. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, look at that. <laughs> what really an- it nailed it, like anchored it for me was just m- building the website. Because when I built a website, I had to build a story. Mm-hmm. What is it that I'm offering? How do I want to say it? And then, so how did it happen? I was lucky too. Nickelodeon contacted me for something like very minor about these that they were doing in Spain. So I came in for for to talk. And she was going to Murcia to do uh, an assessment of some Spongebob Squarepants mm-hmm. thing in Murcia, Spain. <laughs> and she's like, you want to come? I'm like, sure. So I went with them mm-hmm. and I ended up doing a, re- a whole report based on that. Mm-hmm. And plus she said, like, are you available to come on Thursday? And I'm like... I like, let me check my calendar. Sure, I'll move some things yeah. around. I'm like, oh my God. So then it's sort of what happened like that. I put the website up and I started doing some phone calls and talking to people. My friend who's the producer of the new show that I'm working on right now was got picked up for the show. So mm-hmm. she hired me full time. LinkedIn. LinkedIn has been a, a huge thing. One of my big clients right now, it's called Go Noodle. Mm -hmm. They do um, short format content and they have YouTube channels for in movement and mindfulness for Mm -hmm. the classroom and they're starting a Latino initiative. And I had met this woman, not met, I had connected with her on LinkedIn maybe four years ago and Mm -hmm. we had said, oh yeah, let's meet for coffee once. We never met. And, and then, I don't know how, she was looking for something on LinkedIn and she found me and now they're mm-hmm. one of my the three big clients that I was telling you about. Right. So that's one is that. Pena, again, lucky. One of the young people I had in my team moved to Panoply and they, some, they did a research project and I submitted a proposal for research mm-hmm. with the facility and focus groups and all the regular market research stuff. And then they're like, oh, that we're not going to do that because we're splitting from panoply. We're going to become our own thing. Six months later, they called me. They're like, oh, you have this and that. And then instead of doing research, now I'm a, one of the consult- development consultants. Mm-hmm. So it was ten times better because I didn't want to do research. I wanted to do point of view. And now I do the Hotel here mm-hmm. Hotel show with them and a bunch of other shows. So things happen. The opportunity thing, you have to seek the opportunity and then when it comes, grab it. Mm-hmm. But seek, mm-hmm. seek, 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 seek,
0: mm-hmm. seek. Is there any else any other advice if somebody wants to go into media wants to go in this field or like one bit of advice that you would give them
1: I think in general I because that's sort of my style is to be very open to different things Mm -hmm. rather than chasing after just one carrot Mm because all the veggies are good so just sort of be open to not only in, in media First of all, consider the media industry, because there's a lot going on, and it's not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. And there's the the content developers, some of them are going to continue producing junk, and some of them want to produce quality stuff, and they need help. Mm -hmm. So there's definitely opportunity in the media industry for all sorts of good thinkers. When you're you're blessed or you're you know have these opportunities that you seek to and and they got to you and everything, you have to pay it forward, a hundred percent, a hundred percent, and you have to be generous and you have to be attentive to people. Like in my industry, it's sort of there's a lot of chic, you know, there's a lot of fabulous and there's mm-hmm. a lot of LA uh, sort of grandiose personalities and things like that and. I think if you're just a little bit more down to earth and appreciative and just generous with your time, with your attention and you do things like this, for instance, it will come back. But even if it doesn't come back, it just goes forward. And paying it forward is, I had it in sort of part of my mission is to do that. Like I feel like if I pay it forward with a hunter people, Mm -hmm. I call them my, my my stars for some reason, whatever. But like when people that you help do great there's just more greatness yeah you know Absolutely. so definitely definitely pay it forward if you feel that you've been you know if it has gone done, gone well for you like help other people get that too cuz it will it, it it's just more for everybody yeah. so
0: That's a wrap for this episode of Alumni Allowed. I want to thank Mariana for coming on the show to share her experiences as a researcher and consultant in the children's media industry. Remember to stay tuned for more episodes of Alumni Allowed published every two weeks during the fall and spring semesters. Subscribe on iTunes and you'll automatically be notified of new episodes. Also, check out our Facebook, Twitter, and career planning website at cuny.is slash career plan for more updates from our office or to make appointments with our career counselors. Thanks for listening and see you next time.